Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 4. It is good to be back. Okay. Um, I was supposed to be back last week, but as you see, that didn't happen. Um, We had an interesting two weeks before that. Um, My daughter went to a two-week worldview camp in Anderson, South Carolina. So before we knew we were going to be meeting every week, Teresa and I had this great idea. We were going to drop her off and drive for two weeks. So we took a little drive. We went to uh, Camp Lejeune and saw my marine son who's there. And then we went to Pennsylvania to see my daughter who's there. And then we drove down to Key West just because I'd always wanted to go there. So we spent two weeks of driving, saw some friends, saw a lot of stuff. And just so you'll know that I'm a math major, uh, this is how many miles we drove every day. And I actually make this chart for almost every trip we take, so it isn't that weird that I made it. And I did drive 930 miles Saturday a week ago, so I'd be back in order to teach class. The problem was that my daughter at her two-week camp contracted COVID. And we didn't know that until about 5 o'clock on Saturday when we got the results back from her test. So I called Ben and I said, "Uh, my daughter's in the back seat and she has COVID. And he said, maybe you ought to stay home tomorrow. (laughs) So thanks to uh, Stuart for filling in for me. I uh, listened to his second lesson. Uh, He did a great job on 2 Corinthians. I do think I missed something, though, since I didn't have any of the videos. There seemed to be a lot of laughter going on that I somehow missed. Oh, well. And then I asked Don what he taught last week, and he couldn't remember. (laughs) I, what can I say? We've been working our way through the book of Mark. And we get to chapter 4, and we have the parable of the sower, the soils, the seed, whatever you want to call it. Now, it is interesting because uh, not too long ago, we had a sermon on this. If you remember, we worked through the, some of the parables about the kingdom. In fact, I've got Cody's notes right here. So the question is, if Don can't remember what he taught last week, if I taught Cody's lesson, would any of you all know? (laughs) Just saying. But he did a good job, so I contemplated just skipping the thing, but I like it so much. So we're going to do it again, okay? Again, verse 1, chapter 4, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and set it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside him on the land, beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, and here comes the parable, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. 
Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you're like me, you have been in church for long enough that you have heard multiple lessons about this. And you know the description that's going to come. But think for a moment. You've got this miraculous teacher sitting in the boat on the edge of the water and around on the land, all these people are sitting there. They have seen him work miracles. They have heard that he had worked miracles. And he sits down to give him this great teaching and he starts talking about farming. Now, it would have been something they would have been familiar with. The sower goes out to sow. What else is the sower going to do? And what we're talking about here is broadcasting the seed. You have either done this at some point in your life or you've seen it done, where you would take a handful or a cupful of the seed or the fertilizer is what I do or whatever, and you just kind of throw it out there. This is not poking little holes and planting the seed in nice, neat rows. This is broadcasting. It is just throwing it out there. And when you throw it out there, you know some of it's not going to land in the right spot. And they're all familiar with this. They know this story. But what in the world does it mean? I mean, here you have this great teacher telling farming stories. What is the meaning of it? And then he ends the story by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, I don't know about you, but just looking around the room, I'm going to assume everybody has ears. And most of them work pretty well. Some of us, not as well as it used to. But we have ears. We heard the story. We heard the words. We heard about the farming. So why does he admonish them? He who has ears, let him hear. When he knows that they're hearing. What does it all mean? His disciples are going to ask him that question. And Jesus is going to explain the parable to the disciples. He is not going to explain the parable to the average person in that crowd. Why? Let's keep reading. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you... To you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, 
but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Here is the problem that we have, and I might add, Cody addressed it in his lesson on this particular parable. We tend to view parables as sermon illustrations. I make a point, and then I give an illustration to demonstrate that point. It is a sermon illustration. But we are given strong evidence in this passage that the purpose of the parables was to obscure certain truths. Why would he do that? Why would he obscure a truth instead of making it abundantly clear to everyone in the audience? Why doesn't he just tell the audience this is what the parable means? But rather he turns to his disciples and he's going to say this is what the parable means. In fact, he quotes Isaiah who says if they hear, they might understand. If they see, they might. If they hear the truth, they might repent. And we don't want that. That's a loose translation. And it's a really bad translation. We don't like that. It doesn't sound fair. And that's why we have to understand this parable. Let's keep reading. We're coming back to that, by the way. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? In one sense, he's saying, if you don't understand this one, you're not going to understand the next one or the next one or the next one because you're just dense. But in the other sense, he's saying this parable itself is a key to understanding all the parables. It is a key to understanding why I speak in parables to begin with. It's a rather important parable. So let's go on. The sower sows the word. Okay? This is the seed. The word of God is the seed. The sower is Christ giving them the truth. Jesus proclaiming the word of God to them. Now, we can take a broader interpretation and say, when you and I share the gospel with other people, we are sowing the seed. Now, ultimately, though, it is God, the Holy Spirit, that is going to work in people's hearts. But the word is the seed. It is the word of God given to us through the scriptures today, by the proclamation of Jesus, by the proclamation of the prophets in the Old Testament. The seed is the word. Now remember, there's only one seed in this story. We're going to talk about four soils, but there's only one seed. There is only one word of God. The sower sows the word, and those who are, 
And those are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Remember, we're broadcasting the seed. Some of it falls on the hard path. You've seen this. Some of my backyard is like this. It's hard. You throw the seed on it and it has no chance of penetrating the soil and actually taking root. And in fact, the birds just come and love it because it's just sitting there on the surface. What we're talking about here are people whose hearts are hardened. Remember, we had a lesson about this a month ago, whenever the last time I was here, what it means to have a hardened heart. We don't like the idea of a hardened heart because we want to believe that we're all good, we're all wonderful, we're all here with reasonable minds to respond to the truth as it is given to us. And when we hear the truth, by golly, we're going to follow it with all of our hearts. But we know that's not true. It's not true about his audience. It is not true about us at times. We discussed the fact that a hardened heart is God allowing us to do that which we have chosen to do. If I choose to not respond to the word of God, God's going to say, okay, I will allow you to become insensitive to the word of God. So Jesus is sitting in the boat. His disciples are there. There's people around. We know, we know that there are Jewish officials there whose only job is to find evidence against Jesus so they can attack him. We know this because when he was performing his miracles, it says that they use these miracles as an opportunity to attack him. First off, he did a miracle on the Sabbath. God forbid. Secondly, he told some guy, your sins are forgiven, and then healed him. God forbid. If we had non-hardened hearts, don't you think these Jewish officials seeing these miraculous deeds occur would have been, wow, I don't understand this. There must be something, there must be some power. God must be working. Something must be happening. But no, their hearts were hardened. Can you imagine really being there and seeing the miraculous deeds occur and thinking, he healed that guy on the Sabbath. He's a wretched person. Instead of rejoicing in, he healed the guy on the Sabbath. Do you see the difference? Why did they respond that way? Because they had hardened hearts. And when the word of God falls on a hardened heart, it's worthless. The word's not worthless. The hardened heart 
does not respond to the word. So Satan comes along and like the birds, he just grabs all the seed and carries it off. There is nothing wrong with the seed. There is nothing wrong with the word. There is something wrong with the people hearing it. And that's his point of this parable. Let's keep going. And those that are sown, and those are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones which, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, I told you that in my backyard, I have pieces of ground that are as hard as that. But most of my backyard has a different problem. The street that I live on is named Redstone. If you dig this far down, that far in the backyard, you hit a layer of red stone. My grandmother, who owned all this property for years, for years had well water. And as a child, I remember bathing in her bathtub in water that was dirtier than I was because it was red. Now, we plant things in the backyard, grass, and guess what? It can grow that much. Now, not to get too far astray from the picture, it's actually a very soft rock, and you can smash through it and plant something deeper, but it's a rock. So, some of the seed falls on rocky soil. Rocky soil allows growth to occur. Sometimes we're all amazed where growth does occur, right? I've got a basketball goal. Nobody plays basketball. But it's got this plastic base, and over time, dirt has piled up on that plastic base. I have a tree this big growing in that much soil. It does happen. But... When the persecution comes, since there are no roots of any depth, it is swept away. You remember the story, right, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Those who hear the word and put it into practice are those that have built their house on a firm foundation. And those who hear the word and don't put it into practice are those that put their foundation on the sand. It does not have the strength to withstand. And then it says, when the storms come, the house that's built on the sand, torn apart. It does not say if, but when the storms come. What did this day say? When tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. When the difficult times come, those who have no roots will be swept away. Soil 
number two. Now, we're going to see this in the early church. We're going to see this in the church today. We're going to see this throughout history where those who believe the word sort of, you know, when things are going well, it is easy to be a Christian. When things are going well, it's easy to accept and believe the word. But when things stop going well, well, you remember the early church history. We have all of these fabulous stories of the martyrs of the church. Those who stood up against persecution were killed in the uh, Colosseum, were murdered because of their faith. What you might not know is there were a lot of people who fell away. When the persecution came, they had no roots and they were swept aside. There's actually a long discussion we could have if we were actually discussing church history about the fact that the whole idea of doing penance in the Catholic Church, all of that grew out of what to do about these people that fell away from the faith. How do we get them back? Do we get them back? Do we just, anyway, that's another lesson. And others are sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. I don't know about you, but this is me. Okay? Um, we have other parts of our yard. Okay? Well, no, let's not talk about my yard. Let's talk about my mother's yard. <laughs> my mother lives in my backyard, if you didn't know. Sort of. It's her own house and all that. But my mother is on a continual war against weeds. Me? I figure if you mow them, it all looks green. <laughs> but not my mother. She is at war. She will tell you weeds are sin. <laughs> and she works to remove them continually. Continually. I might add, I was gone for two weeks, and my 89-year-old mother mowed my yard. She has this riding lawnmower tractor that she just loves. She does not know why I waste my time with my little old-fashioned lawnmower. She just loves it. Anyway, she is at war. Why? Because the weeds, if you allow them to grow, will choke out the good stuff, whatever it is. You plant flowers, the weeds choke it out. You plant grain, the weeds choke it out. The weeds left to their own devices, will grow and choke the life out of everything. And in this passage, we are given three very clear things that will choke the life out of your life. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. What are the cares of the world? You know this. If I gave you a piece of paper, you could write me a list. 
right now of the things that you're worried about. Okay? Ben brought many of them up in our prayer time. You know what they are. They are how my children are doing, how my grandchildren are doing, why did my daughter get COVID, what am I going to do about this, what am I going to do about that, why do we wear masks, why do we not wear masks, why do we get vaccinated, why do we not, what are we doing about politics, what are the Democrats doing, what are the Republicans doing, what are all of this stuff, and you and I could come up with a list of the cares of this world. And guess what? This parable is telling us that those things will choke the life out of your spiritual progress. Does that mean we're not supposed to be concerned about these things? Yes, we're supposed to be concerned. But at what point do these things choke the life out of our life? The cares of this world. What is the solution to that? A firm faith and belief that God is in control and God is working things out for his glory and his good and ultimately for our good, even if we don't particularly understand it. I mean, there have been times in my life where I have sat down and written out the list. Here are all the things that are and guess what? It takes several sheets of paper. And you are just like me. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, of money, of riches. Notice that it does not say money, riches, wealth, whatever word you want to use. It says the deceitfulness of wealth. What is the deceitfulness of wealth? The deceitfulness of wealth is the idea that if I have enough money, all of my problems are going to go away. If I have enough money, I can be an autonomous human being and I do not need any other person or God. I've told you before, there's a proverb, I think it's in chapter 30, it may be 29, that I just really like. God, give me neither wealth nor poverty. Because if I am wealthy, I will deny that I need God. And if I'm poor, I will, still, I will steal and defame the name of God. But rather give me my daily bread. If I have a belief that my possessions, that my money that my bank account is going to solve all of my problems, that I am following after the deceitfulness of wealth. A friend of my father's once said, how much money do you have to have in the bank before you're willing to live by faith? Yes, it is a stupid question. But yes, it's a question that each of us needs to address. Now, let me make it very clear. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. It isn't the wealth. It is the belief that the wealth will cure my problems apart from God. R.G. Letourneau made a fortune in construction. 
a fortune. And every year, he would balance all the books, clear out all the count, pay himself, and give away all the rest of it. And then he'd start the next year. Why? He was not going to let the wealth define who he was. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. But there's one more. Hmm. And the desires for other things. Now, if I'm talking about the desire for other things, there must be something that I'm supposed to desire. And the other things are a distraction to them. We're not saying here that desire in and of itself is wrong. If we believed that, we would be good Buddhist. If you follow the teachings of Buddha, every pain and sorrow in your life is caused by some desire. And the only way to become happy is to get rid of all your desires. And you know what? It'd probably work. But that's not what this is telling us. This is telling us that there is something we are supposed to desire. But rather than that, we go chasing after everything else. Quick question. What are we supposed to desire? Come on. Wake up. God's truth. truth. Pardon? Peace with God. The Westminster Catechism says the purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So if that is the desire we are supposed to have, Jesus says, my will, Jesus, is to do the will of Him who sent me. That is God. What are we supposed to do? What God would have us to do. Question. That's okay. I didn't even know whose it was. Now I know. My little silent button on mine is broken, so I have to keep powering it off. What do we desire other than that? Well, The easy answer for us as 21st century Americans is simply this, more. Whatever it is, I want more of it, okay? I want more stuff, I want more comfort, I want more, I want more. There is no room for contentment if what we're after is always more. What do these things do for us? The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. All of these things choke the life out of the seed and prevent the seed from producing fruit. One more soil. But those that are sown, verse 20, On the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 
30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So I'm sitting here broadcasting the seed. I am proclaiming the word of God. Some of it falls on soil that is so hard it never even germinates. Some of it falls into rocky soil, and yeah, it sprouts. But you know, it just doesn't survive the Texas heat or this or that. It just doesn't survive the persecution. Some of it falls among the thorns and the weeds, and those things grow up and choke the life out of it. But some of the seeds lands in good soil, and it produces fruit. Some of it 30, 60, or 100 fold. Now, some commentators want to have a discussion about whether the 100 fold people are the real Christians and the 30 fold are just not that good. Let's not get into that discussion. Remember the other parable about the Master giving the five talents to one and the three to another and the one to another. And he comes back and the five's got five more. Great. Well done. The one who has the three has three more. Great. Well done. The exact same response. God is only interested in how you respond to what God has given you. He is not at all concerned whether you produce as many souls as Billy Graham. That's not what he gave you here, what he put you here for. So don't worry about that. The answer, though, is that it produces fruit. What is the fruit? Well, the easy answer is the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, we talked about that at length. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I may have gotten all of them that time. I don't know. That is what the Spirit in our lives naturally, with the Spirit, produces. It's not natural if the Spirit's not there. We are to do good works. This was Stuart's lesson, remember? We are to do good works, and those good works are fruit. We are to share the gospel. That is a fruit. If you are not producing fruit of any sort, it should be a red flag that something may be amiss. Now, If I'm looking at my neighbor to see if my fruit looks like their fruit, I'm in trouble. If I'm counting the amount of fruit my neighbor has and comparing it to the amount of fruit I have, something is in trouble. That's not what we're supposed to do. The Word of God put in good soil will produce fruit. And that is the point of this parable. Now, why does Jesus tell them that this parable is the key to understanding the other parables? 
at some point in your life, you are each of these soils. At some point in your life, you're going to go present the gospel to someone, and that someone is going to be one of these four soils. Jesus, the Son of God, the best preacher that ever existed on this planet, sows the Word of God and has these four responses. He's telling us this so we will understand why people don't respond, why people fall away, why people allow the worries of this world to drive their faith away, and why some are fruitful. The key to the spiritual life is responding to the Word of God in a way that produces fruit. Now, why don't we do that? Ha-ha, we just talked about that. Either we have hard hearts. Now, we had a discussion about our hearts being hardened. And that's really bad, I might add, to have a hardened heart where you are insensitive to the word of God. But I am convinced, and I think Stuart mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, as long as there's air in your lungs, you can respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit. But if you continue to not respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit, there is no plan B. You have a hard heart. You can have a shallow faith, and you need to work at developing the roots. How do you do that? Responding to the Word of God and training yourself to respond to the Word of God and training yourself to respond to the Word of God. You go, wait a minute. I read it. That's good. That's good. But when it says love your neighbor, do you love your neighbor? Or do you hate your neighbor because they don't keep their yard very good? Well, I mean, that's how I worry my mother thinks about me. Okay? Remember, I mow it and it looks green. It says love your enemy. Well, that's going a little bit far. I'm not going to do that. When we hear the word and we refuse to put it into practice, we are not developing roots. And when difficult times come, we get blown away. And then, sometimes we're just knee-deep in the cares of this world. How do you get rid of the cares of this world? You know the answer to this? You give them to Jesus. You give them to God. We rejoice and we pray with thanksgiving and we allow God to handle the problems of this world. You want to know something? That's really hard for me to do. 
It just really is. I want an answer. I want my answer, but I want an answer. And I want it right now. And I want it to be easy. Or, if we respond to the word of God, we will bear fruit. Now, let's back up just a little bit. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those that were with him, the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Unlike you and I, Jesus knows the conditions of someone's heart. He does. I don't, you don't. We see each other's outward behavior, but Jesus knows the heart. And when Jesus knows that someone has a hardened heart, he says, why should I give them what I know they're going to reject? Why should I give the truth to them when I know they are going to reject it? He is talking about individuals here. But he's also talking about the leadership of the Jewish community at this point in history. They are going to crucify him, literally. Not figuratively, metaphorically, but literally. Why? Because their hearts are hardened. Let me give you a scary, scary, scary thought. God is under no obligation to continue dumping truth on those who have rejected the truth that has been given to them. We don't like that. That should scare the bejeebers out of us. That I could get to the point where God says, I'm no longer going to bother giving you the truth. Now, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, know the human heart. I don't. We are told to go into the world and broadcast the gospel. But even we are told that there comes a time when all we're doing is casting pearls before swine. Have you ever been with somebody and you're sharing the gospel or just talking about the things of God, and you begin to sense that they have no understanding, they have no desire. In fact, they probably are rather antagonistic toward it. And at some point, you just, you don't give up. You pray. Continue to do that. But all you're doing by continuing to share is heaping more guilt upon them because they're rejecting more truth. So what's the conclusion of all of this? Let's look at it from both directions one more time. We're the soil. We're the soil. What kind of soil are we? There's a long discussion among the commentaries about which of these soils are really saved, okay? 
The usual accepted answer, and I'm going to accept it, is that which bears fruit. That means the fourth, not the one to three. We know the number one one's not. Some people hold out hope for two and three. You don't want to be the person that you're holding out hope when you don't have evidence of the fruit. You want to respond to the word of God. Don't show up at your funeral and leave the audience guessing where you stand with Christ. Just don't do that. We are called to bear fruit. We pursue everyone. So we can be the soil. We are the soil. How do we respond to the word of God? But secondly, when we present the gospel to others, we need to just accept the fact that not everybody is going to respond positively. That's just a given. That should not surprise you. I know the first time you ever tried to share the gospel with someone and it fell flat as could be and you told yourself, I'm never going to do that again. Guess what? You may have done a lousy job of it. I mean, that is possible. And you need to work at it. You need to pray to God that God would give you the confidence to share his word with other people. That's a true statement. But you know what? You could be Jesus Christ. And they still won't respond to the gospel. Remember that little parable that Jesus gives about the rich man dying and going to hell and Lazarus going to heaven and the rich man says, just let me send somebody to talk to my brothers, to save them. If somebody from the dead came and talked to them, they would respond. And Jesus said, no, they won't. Even if somebody from the dead showed up, if their heart is hard, they won't respond. So it's not your fault. They aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting the word. What does that mean? You share it with somebody else. What does that mean? You share it with somebody else. Your faithfulness is the fruit. Their response will bring you joy or sorrow, but that's not the fruit. The fruit is your faithfulness. So, Jesus tells the disciples, this is the key to understanding the other parables. And we'll talk about some more of them next week. Why is it the key? Because how people respond to the word of God determines everything about their lives. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sharing the seed with us. I pray, Lord, that we would be the good soil that produces fruit. Forgive us when we are hard. Forgive us when we are distracted. And forgive us when we are shallow. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.